All right, so last week we started a new series in apologetics. Anybody tell me what apologetics means? TJ, why you believe what you believe? It's the easiest way for me to explain it. It's not apologizing for what you believe, right? Or it's not like learning how to apologize or the study of apologizing, right? No, it's, it's learning why we believe what we believe so that we can defend our belief. So a good way to remember this is... Uh, so if you guys don't know, I'm not wearing my hat today, but I'm a huge Vikings fan, right? Anybody who's spent like five seconds with me knows that um, because I can't stop talking about it. And I'm a big fan of the Vikings. I don't know why I was just raised that way. Apparently, I enjoy pain. Um, but as a Vikings fan, I will tell you, you know, that we have the most stacked offensive roster in the league. And I would think I would have a place to stand on that, being that we have three top 10 uh, fantasy players to begin with. Um, but, you know, we have uh, Dalvin Cook at running back and two of the best wide receivers in the league, and Kirk is just okay. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that we have a good solid chance at a Super Bowl this year and give you 12 reasons why. And so certain people would be like, dude, like, it's just the Vikings. Like, they're not even that great. Like, why do you believe this? And so I have spent way too much time being a Vikings apologist, right? So an apologist is just somebody who is very passionate about explaining why they're so passionate about that thing that they're passionate about, right? Um, and so we should be that way about our relationship with Christ and the fact that God created absolutely everything. We should have a reason. And that's where our, our verse comes from that I want you guys to maybe even consider uh, putting to memory, which is First uh, Peter 3, 14 through 16, which says, um, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, them being people that would question you, but in your hearts regard Christ, as, Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. The important one in the middle there is verse 15, where it says, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So they should, in relationship, see something different in you. Because as we were just talking about in worship, the spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and that should shine out. If we are putting to death our flesh, and pursuing Christ, that should come through. And people should be able to see that in us, not just our character traits or our sins or the things that we screw up on. Like It should be what God is creating in us and the identity that God is putting on our hearts. That should be what comes through. And we should just try to get out of the way so people can see God. So <clears throat> I want to talk about um, let's, let's just read this, this, uh, verse here real quick. So this passage in Mark 12, it's 28 through 31 it says one of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them. Well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel, Lord, our Lord, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So when this guy asks Jesus, what's the greatest 
command, which command is the most important of all, is how it puts it in the CSB. Um, this is what he says. And if you were a Jewish person in this time, you would recognize this as the Shema. Or So you know how every Christian basically knows our Father, or, you know, like, our Father who art in heaven. Like, we could probably at least get through half of that, right? So if any of us have spent any time in church, even in the Catholic church especially, um, you, have, you know that verbatim. Um, and so he's literally just rattling off their version of that, which is the Shema, which is where it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the important part that I want to point out in this is these are the two biggest commandments, or the most important commandments according to Jesus, right? And so part of that commandment was that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So not just take God's word for it that he did what he did because he's God. And um, I like how <laughs> the, the guy that we're pulling all this information from, Chris Hilkin, puts it. And he's like, well, if God's not real, then what are all these churches for? And it's like, no, we, we actually want to engage our brain. And so apologetics or the pursuit of, of knowing why we believe what we believe isn't strictly an emotional endeavor. It's an intellectual endeavor. We should be using our brain when we study whether or not God actually did what we believe that he did, right? We should be using our brain. And that is, yeah, there we go. So the pursuit of apologetics is so much more than an emotional endeavor. It's an intellectual endeavor. You don't have to check your brain at the door to follow God. And so often we, as Christians, get caricatured as these you know, idiots that don't believe in science or we don't look at anything right in front of us with our five senses with any amount of common sense, and we do. And I want to kind of get into that today. So the evidence or the, the, uh, the argument that I want to get into for apologetics this week is the evidence from first cause. It's also called cosmology. Um, and what that is, is that it's the science of the origin and development of the universe. And the question that it's trying to ask is, why is there everything instead of nothing, and how did it all get there? So it's the, it's the evidence from first cause. How did all of this stuff that we experience get here? Everything in all of its complexity had to start somewhere, right? So how did that happen? And so that's what cosmology is, and there's different schools of thought with that. But our first point that I want us to get into tonight is that you don't have to be an atheist to be a scientist, okay? So, like what, what Chris was saying, you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a scientist or to study apologetics or science in general. The sciences attract agnostics and atheists or people that don't believe in God more than any other profession. But, even though that's true, 51% of all scientists believe that there is a higher power or deity. Isn't that crazy? So over half of all the scientists believe in a higher power of some sort because they've spent the time studying it. So if you're ever questioning like, well, I don't want to dig too deep into the science of it because then I might like lose my faith in God. No, over half of the ones that are in the field still believe that there is a higher, higher power of some sort or a deity. And there's a huge list of these people. So I actually saw this on uh, uh, Instagram Reel. So if you can play that video, I don't know if that's plugged in or not. Can you plug that in on the side? 
Realise that a scientist can't believe in God, right? Oh, sure. Well, apart from Francis Bacon, the founder of the scientific method, he was a devout Christian. Well, yeah. And Johannes Kepler, who discovered the laws of planetary motion. Really? And so were Boyle, Newton and Pascal, actually. Well, maybe there were a few. Actually, that was just the 17th century. Then you've got Leibniz, Lavoisier, Linnaeus in the 18th, Faraday, Maxwell, Pasteur in the 19th. Alright, but they were all in the past. Nowadays, scientists don't believe in God. Well, apart from people like astrophysicist George Ellis, AI pioneer Rosalind Picard, geneticist Francis Collins, who sequenced the entire human genome. What? They're all Christians? Yes, them and many more besides. In fact, belief in a creator who endowed an intelligible universe with order is what got the scientific revolution started. There's no conflict between science and faith. So one of those guys that he listed there was Isaac Newton. Anybody know that name? It's kind of a big name. Okay, so like Newton's laws of physics and thermodynamics, those are kind of a big deal in the scientific community and they're accepted as fact, right? Um, so his quote is the reason I do science is so that people will believe the grandeur of the God that's there. So he believes that there's a God there. And the whole reason he even started studying any of the things that he did was to prove that to people and to show what God had done. The another name that he listed there is, uh, Francis Collins. And so he was a Christian is a Christian that was uh, awarded by Obama, actually, to sit at the most prestigious scientific seat in the nation. He's essentially the godfather of genetics or DNA, and he wrote a book called The Language of God. But so he, he was the first person to sequence the entire human genome or the, the strand of DNA. So that is essentially the code, and you can put that book up. Uh, just click one more time. So that's the book that he wrote, and it talks in detail about how God designed DNA as a literal code for how we are built the way that we are. So if you go down to that level, that's literally the code. Like, does anybody enjoy coding? And they can go, yeah. So like it's God designed us on a physical scientific level with code. And that's the way that, that's how you are the way that you are. That's why if you have a twin, you're so close to that person because your DNA is literally that close to that person. Um, so the code or the, the plan is pretty darn close to that person. Um, so Francis Collins is, is one of the guys that discovered that. So it's, it's foolish to say that, you know, Christians can't study science or that they're idiots or that they don't deserve to have tenure at, at colleges because they do all these things <laughs> and they still do. They never stopped. So let's get back to that original question then. Why is there everything instead of nothing? And how did it all get there? Why is there everything instead of nothing? And how did it all get there? So again, what we're talking about is the evidence from first cause or cosmology. And what that says in the creation viewpoint is that space, time, and matter all have to exist. And they all have to have a starting point. If you're a naturalist, you believe that there is no starting point and that everything has always existed and there's always been everything that has always been. And it's really kind of hard to think about that, but it's, it's like our sense of eternity when we go to heaven. It's just going to be forever and ever, and we don't really have a concept of that. It's a lot like that for when they think of eternity the opposite direction of like there's always been. Um, <clears throat> and so the problem with that is that a Christian... <laughs> studied science and found out that the Big Bang was actually uh, 
a real thing. Um, and the Big Bang was actually opposed by atheists first, not Christians, um, because if the universe had a point at which it began, then before that point, there was nothing, right? And what can nothing do? It can do nothing. If there was nothing, it can't create itself because it's nothing. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but we'll, we'll try to circle back around and, and make sense of that. But if, if time, space, and matter all have a beginning, then that means some timeless, spaceless, immaterial, so that's supposed to be immaterial, like not tangible, you can't touch it, immaterial being had to have created it or caused it to happen. And for us, that's an easy answer, right? We have the answer right here in, in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's as easy as that. God created it. He spoke and it was. But it's a little bit more complicated than that for someone who's a naturalist that believes that there isn't a God or that it just happened by chance. And they have to come up with some other way that that happened, some some other universe that there was somebody from that universe that decided to, like, that sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? You know, some pre, like, any Marvel fans thinking of, like, pre-existent universes and, and multiverse situations, like, they're actually starting to try to study some of those things because... They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> they don't know how to come up with an answer for how it started because they weren't there. But luckily, we have an account of it right here because it was given to us by God. And it's hard for, for some of them to come to terms with that. So Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, right? John 1-3 doubles down on it, and it says, all things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So it's not that God just made one little pocket universe for himself. No, Bible claims this, and, and this is why I want to read scripture, because you need to know what your scripture claims. It says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that was created, that has been created. Psalms 19, one, through, or 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. I love the way that the CSB puts that. Because when you look at the stars, you see order. And when you really look closer, you really see order. And it's, it's crazy how God designed it. If you, if you go out into the stars, you see more and more order. If you go down to the microscopic level, you go past DNA, which is all sorts of order. Even beyond that, there's more order. The smaller you get, the more you study, the more you see how God has created everything. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. So the question remains then, this is the third point. Did the universe have a beginning or not? That's, that's what we're trying to answer here. Did the universe have a beginning or not? Naturalists, naturalists believe it never had a beginning, that before the Big, big Bang, there wasn't nothing. Instead, they believe that, there, that the entirety of everything that we see and, and can observe in the observable universe became so condensed 
into a tiny point of singularity because they still believe in the Big Bang. They use it and they call it fact. Um, that it all got condensed into a tiny point of singularity without the help of some other higher being. It just happened, right? And then, for some reason, which they can't account for, it all exploded. And it's still moving, and it's moving faster and faster. I don't know if you've ever seen an explosion, but eventually it stops, right? <laughs> it, it slows down. It hits something. But there was nothing. And then there was something because God spoke it into existence and it never stopped. It gets faster and faster and faster. Like when you drop something from a plane, it just goes faster and faster and faster until it reaches terminal velocity. This isn't even that. It goes faster than that. So anyway, I like to nerd out on this stuff. Creationists believe the opposite, that God spoke and everything came into existence. It's easy. But both require a certain amount of faith because, like it or leave it, we weren't there. We didn't have eyes to observe it. We didn't have the scientific method, which was developed by Christian, to study what happened at the beginning, right? We didn't have eyes fingers, noses, ears, anything to go and see that for ourselves that it actually happened. We are just postulating any stuff on what we can observe right now, which is so far in the future, it's ridiculous. But both require a certain amount of faith because we weren't there. So a way that, that Chris puts this is that, um, so just imagine, just put that blank slide up real quick. So imagine that there's just, Nothing, right? Um, and then right here in the middle of this room, <laughs> there was just something all of a sudden. Like, I don't know, Ryan Graydon's floating head or something. Let's just put that up for fun. You know? So all of a sudden, Ryan Graydon's floating head is just right here in all of its glory with all of its handlebar mustache glory and all the detail. And you see that it has been intricately designed you know, with care, and, and has been groomed to, to look like Yosemite Sam. Um, and so you just look at that, and, you, and if that just popped up out of nowhere, you'd, you'd want to know where it came from, right? You'd want to know why, all of a sudden, Ryan Graydon's floating head is in the middle of this room right now. You wouldn't just be, say, like, oh, no, that's just always been there. Oh, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> we, it was nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's this. Why? That's the question you would want to ask. So I want to, you can take his face off there, that's fine. <laughs> so I want to take us back to, so Job is the book in the Bible that was written the earliest. If you want to look back into that, uh, of when the books were actually written, Job is, we don't even have an account of it because it was so early. So Job 38, 3 through 6, God is... Um, talking to Job, who Job has been through a lot. He's lost his whole family, all of his crops, his livestock, everything. God has allowed that to happen. And he's just questioning. He's saying, why? What's, what's going on? I wish I was dead. Like, I just, this is so horrible. And this is what God says to him. In verse 3, he says, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. So he's being sarcastic. He's saying like, Please answer me when I when I get into this. And it's like a whole chapter of just, but I'm just only doing a couple verses here. So he says, where were you when I established the earth? 
Tell me, if you have any understanding, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? So he's being sarcastic. Obviously, you don't know. You can't answer that. So he's saying, just trust me in that scenario. But he's laying out a lot of really cool things here that he's he's claiming these, that he fixed the dimensions. He stretched the measuring line across. He supports the foundations. And he laid its cornerstone. Which when we go to back to John 1.1, 1, 1, we find out what that cornerstone was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So all the way back in Job, God questions, what supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? He did. Everything hinges on Christ and Christ crucified. The fact that he came and died for our sins means that we get to experience eternity outside of this creation as we know it. And we wouldn't have gotten to do that with God had he not done that. So God knew from the, be- from the very beginning, and Jesus sat at his right hand, that he would create everything exactly how it is and that he would send Jesus to die for you and for me and for everyone that would accept him, and that he would raise himself from the dead by the Holy Spirit and then be raised into heaven so that we could do the same, that when we die, we get to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever, with God, the God that created all this stuff that we're talking about. We get to spend that eternity with him. That's a huge deal, guys. So did the universe have a beginning or not? Yes. In the beginning, God. God spoke and it was. And scientists have no answer for that yet. And the more that they study it, the more they either get confused or convinced that God is real. And we'll get into that a lot more next week when we talk about design. But I just wanted to talk about the beginning, the very, very beginning. That in the beginning there was God and Jesus and they created absolutely everything for us to observe, for us to study, for us to be in awe of. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your creation. Thank you that you you set everything in motion and that you didn't just wipe your hands and say, you know, I'm done. You also made yourself imminent. You made yourself present in our lives. You gave us everything we need and more. God, you gave us eternal hope, but you also gave us present hope in the fact that we have relationship with you. If we've accepted the sacrifice that you gave to us on the cross, we have relationship with you. God, that's a huge deal. Help us to not take that lightly. Help us to see you for who you are. You're the God of the universe that created everything, and you loved us enough to die for us. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.